You are listening to episode number 39 of the Effective Statistician podcast, how to work with key opinion leaders. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. Do you sometimes struggle to convince your business partners? Do you sometimes feel to be excluded from key discussions? If you want to improve your influence within your organization, then we have something for you. The Effective Statistician Leadership Program is there to help you. We'll start this course next year in 2019. So if you have some interest in learning about this, check out our homepage, theeffectivestatistician.com slash course and register your interest there. In today's episode, we'll chat all about Kiopian leaders, QLs, KDLs, TLs, there's lots of different acronyms for them. But what is their role and how can you best work together with them so they feel good and you win as well. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to special interest groups, the video on demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to a new episode of The Effective Statistician. Uh, today we're talking about cults, key OLs, key opinion leader, key thought leaders or thought leaders, however they are called. Actually, um, in my in my life as a statistician, I, I haven't come across too too many um, key opinion leaders, also what we could call key opinion leaders. But I'm sure Alexander, you did, did you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi Benjamin. Yeah, actually, key opinion leaders have been kind of um, on my agenda for for quite a while. Uh, as most of my career, I've spent in um, the so-called medical affairs area. Um, so more the late phase area and lots of customer facing activities. Um, so that's why my interactions with uh, key opinion leaders, thought leaders, or very often also abbreviated QLs, KTLs, TLs, or whatsoever, um, is quite frequent. And it's always a very, very interesting uh, um Experience. Yeah, no, I believe, I believe that. I mean, I've been working with some of them as well, and I see. But as a you know, as a matter of fact, the CEO, um, CEO statisticians usually work towards the you know the pharma company who then is directly supporting the QL. So I mean, there are exceptions, but yeah, no, I, I agree. So, but who who are QLs? I mean, I know investigators could be, you know, but but what else is? So, so QLs have an actually a quite 
wide range of activities. Uh, and, and by the way, if you hear some background noise, we, we are recording this year in the summer and I really need to open the door, uh, the, the, the window because it's so hot. So even if you hear that in, in winter, um, I, I think they have predicted something like 36 degrees here. Yeah, yeah it's Celsius. <laughs> And so, so uh, there might be a little bit of a background noise, but I hope it's uh, not too disturbing. So, so coming back to the Q-Opinion leaders, um, they can take um, lots of different roles. And um, of course, they are customers very often. They are very often prescribing physicians that uh, treat patients themselves or that um, have... Um, patients within the clinics that they run uh, or the hospitals that they run. And um, so they actually see patients and therefore they also uh, usually prescribe uh, medications or therapies that the pharma companies uh, are working on. Um, as they are usually quite experienced, um, you know, if you're a leader or opinion leader or a thought leader, um, you need to have some, you know, very, very established expertise in a certain area, um, very often a certain niche um, of the medical field. And as such, um, you, as a QOL, very often help pharma companies to actually better do their job. Uh, because um, there's, of course, lots of expertise within the pharma companies, but um, these people that we are talking about are very often world-class experts, and they have dedicated their life to this specific area very often. So it's nearly impossible to, to have this knowledge in-house, and especially um, when there's lots of pharma companies working on a specific uh, area, it's nearly impossible to have that in-house. So they are um, advising the uh, pharma companies um, on all kinds of different things, from uh, study design to um, interpretation of the data, um, what the data means in terms of uh, the prescribing physicians, how best to communicate the data, all kinds of different things. Um, as they are... As you mentioned, very often they are also investigators for, for clinical studies um, and sometimes principal investigators. Um, so they, and, and as I said, you know, they are very often very closely involved with, with the clinical data um, from the design of the studies up to the publications of the studies. And as such, they also are very often um, uh, authors on the publications. Um, as well, quite naturally, you know, they have um, provided their expertise to the uh, design of the studies and to the interpretation of the studies and to, you know, uh, putting everything into perspective. So um, uh, that's another way, um, another role. Um, further, uh, when communicating about these uh, results, um, they also speak. Um, at conferences about the data, or sometimes they are also um, hired to speak at specific pharma-organized events. 
um, to, to to talk about the data and to explain the data, what they mean to to their peers. And then they also sometimes have very kind of overarching um, things uh, that they are doing. So um, they might work on guidelines, for example, on certain treatment guidelines, um, as they have. They bring their world class expertise into these guidelines to help um, physicians, prescribing physicians that need, you know will not have ever the, the opportunity to, to build up these expertise to help them make the best uh, treatment decisions. And then they also play uh, sometimes a role more on a um, um, approval uh, um, approval uh, thing. So, so, for example, they uh, may be associated or advise also regulatory bodies. Uh, or HDA bodies, or maybe they are even a member of HDA bodies. Uh, and as such, uh, they're sometimes even government employees, yeah, and or they are seen as government employees. And so that, of course, has then also some, some further legal implications. But from what I hear is that you're still mainly talking or primarily talking about a medical background, so medical... Uh, persons in um, people that are in whatever role as you describe but with a medical background yeah mostly these uh, have a medical background uh, very often they are a professor for at a certain university um, mm. um, with a medical background um, in some aspects sometimes they could also come from other areas um, so for example when it's about HTA. Sometimes they could also have um, more kind of as a health economy background hmm. uh, and advice in that, that regard. Um, but I think usually kind of the European leaders that, that we meet will have a, a very medical background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe a little bit of a biological background, but they are often then both have a degree in biology and in uh, medicine. Yep. Yeah, and their role is a medical one and more. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is this is like who who that person could potentially be. But what about the interactions? So what is the what is the interaction that you usually have with them? So and I mean, obviously, what are the pitfalls? What do we you, you know? Yeah. So so let's let's maybe first uh, talk about the the interactions that uh, that you as a statisticians can can have with them. So where you re usually run into these are um, advisory boards. So um, these are group meetings where pharma companies invite um, a couple of different uh, key opinion leaders. Um, could be just you know one or two uh, people, but it also could be you know a dozen of uh, uh, opinion leaders. So, but but in that range, so that you can still have a mean meaningful discussion with them, and uh, it's quite interactive. Uh, usually, mm -hmm. these advisory boards. Um, so they and they you know in these kind of advisory boards, exactly what we just discussed happens. Yeah, so so. Uh, the pharma company shows their study design and seeks for input 
or show the data and seek for inter input in terms of interpretation, what they think about it, uh, you know, where are maybe, you know, gaps in the analysis, um, other things, or maybe better ways to interpret the data or uh, different ways to show the data, um, or, you know, where to further um, then publish the data. You know, is that something that is... Um, relevant enough for top tier journal or you know is that something that is maybe not so relevant um what are you know how does that fit into the literature for example um so these kind of things um another thing where you can run into key opinion leaders is of course medical conferences so um if you're working in a specific disease area, I strongly recommend that you um, also attend these rel relevant medical conferences there because it's really good for, um, of course, for knowledge gain, but also very good for um, having interactions with these key opinion leaders and building their relationship and, mm. and, and, and learning from them. So, and at these conferences, very often, uh, these pharma companies will set up, you know, uh, smaller meetings with these uh, key opinion leaders to discuss about various topics. And it's uh, that can be quite interesting. So especially if it's, you know, about a certain project that you're working on, um, it's, it's quite nice to be at these conferences and then to be within these meetings. Isn't this like usually the, um, planned in as a study uh, from a study level yes that could be planned in planned in from a study level mm. so so um these conferences just offer a very very nice opportunity to meet with these people because yep. you know if it's an international conference for disease x y or z um all the relevant people will be there. So it's very, very easy to meet them um, with uh, rather lower effort. Usually, of course, the very important people will have a quite a busy schedule. Um, <laughs> um, you can still kind of uh, uh, meet them and, you know, um, between the sessions or um, in the morning or in the evening um, and uh, speak about uh, projects. But sometimes you also have, uh, let's say, project-specific kind of meetings with these key opinion leaders. So so kind of something like mini advisory boards, yeah? So so where you maybe uh, for specific study, you meet with just one or two uh, advisors um, to then only talk about this specific project, um, either at the design stage or at the um, data readout publication stage. Another uh, area is um, speaker trainings. So, uh, and I think this is not a, an area where traditionally statisticians have been um, strongly involved in, um, because very often kind of these things happen, you know, when all the data are already published and, and things like this. Um, but I have seen that having statisticians at these kind of events very, very much help uh, for the customers to understand the data better. 
and to understand the pitfalls, understand the limitations. And these speaker trainings are really where you invite from the different uh, countries people that um, then later speak on behalf of the pharma company um, in pharma company organized events. And of course, they need to be familiar with, with the data that they speak about. Um, and with these, with the pitfalls, they need to be, you know, able to answer questions from the audience uh, about these. So that's another so, area. So basically, it's a it's a study. It's a study specific um, affiliate training, let's say, so that the for local affiliates or for local mm, um, could groups. be study specific, but could also be kind of uh, therapeutic area specific or molecule specific. Yeah. Okay. So, so let's say you have a um, you launch a new drug, and um, in this area, of course, you wanna inform all the different prescribing physicians about um, the data from the phase three uh, package, and um, then you need to have these speakers that you know basically communicate your data, you know, in a, in a more kind of um, small group settings and um, uh, set us and able to put these data into perspective. And um, these people are then, these speakers are then centrally trained usually. Yeah. Um, actually, one other thing where I think it's really good to, get in touch just as a side note. Um, and that may not be directly with kind of key opinion leaders, but could also be with key opinion leaders or with, with you know, just the usual prescribing physicians um, is um, to get in touch with them uh, when you have it right with a sales rep. So yeah, um, discussed this before. <laughs> Great experience. <laughs> yeah, so, so I think if, if you, if you have, never seen this side of the business um i very very encourage you to do that uh, it's it's a great learning um but you know sometimes it's difficult for statisticians to get actually into these settings these advisory boards and and uh, things like that um but it's yeah, it takes a little bit of time and additional effort to get into these meetings. Hmm. But but actually, I do. Well, from my from what I heard is that the statistician, the, the pharma statistician, is usually invited to advisory boards. At least in my in the past of my in, in my history, the studies that I was working on, that the mm -hmm. it wasn't me, but it was the study statistician who was attending the advisory board. Yeah, so it's not uncommon. Yeah. Either. I think, and I think there's a very, very good reason for it. Um, mm, absolutely, because yep. um, the statistician is usually the only um, deeply methodological trained person in these rooms, and thus provides very complementary knowledge to all these different things. So, so uh, imagine you have, you know, the uh, Physicians from the pharma companies there, and then you have all these physicians, these external physicians, the key opinion leaders there. Um, and of course, they are all medically trained. Yeah. 
Um, and my experience is that the view of the statistician is highly valued by especially the uh, external European leaders, because very often they will not have access to statisticians very easily at their mm -hmm. uh, institutes where they're working, um, or at least not to, or maybe not to statisticians that are set specifically trained in these kind of areas. And um, so as a statistician, you shouldn't be kind of thinking minor about yourself, uh, but seeing these kind of strengths. If you, for example, compare uh, yourself with your colleague from the medical department, you know, I would foresee that they potentially have much more problems in these areas because, you know, they speak yeah, with you. their peers, but their, the, these peers, you know, their medical colleagues have much more experience in terms of these specific uh, diseases. You know, they are professors on these diseases. They, you know, have published maybe hundreds of publications on these kind of things. You know, they have invested years or decades of their life into these specific things. Whereas you as a uh, pharma uh, physician, you know, maybe you have previously worked on complete different indication. Yeah. And you're just, you know, jumped into this quite new. Um, of course, you know, maybe the, 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 your company data better than the externals, but um, the externals have so much more knowledge. So I think there's no reason as a statistician to go fearful into these kind of meetings. Um, but remember your strengths, your complementary knowledge, And I think that also gives the advantage that you actually can uh, ask really nice questions and therefore mm. contribute. But before we go more on the, on the mindset for a statistician on you know and how to interact with this, so what what are other um, surrounding um, rules or you know things you should consider when you um, work with a QL, meet a QL, or talk to him? Yeah. So there is. Um, Lots of rules, actually. Um, and it's all under the big umbrella of, of compliance. So the um, if you go back in history, um, well, there's <laughs> lots of stories uh, that you probably hear from your older colleagues about how pharma has run the business kind of in the last century. Um, and that is, of course, very, very different from uh, how it's run today. And um, there is, you know, you need to be very, very careful in how you react with these people because um, many of these will be seen as government employees or maybe they are not factually, but, you know, more or less legally they're seen as that. So um, bribery rules and these kind of things all... Um, Are effective here and so it's really important to be aware of these different uh, compliance rules one thing that i think usually helps is um, to have someone if you speak with a european leader to have someone that is um, from the medical affairs department uh, uh, 
medical science liaison or you know someone else a local physician uh, from your company um together with them because they will be aware of the local rules that apply to this physician yeah so so of course you can't be aware about you know what are the french rules the german rules the uk rules the rules from denmark or the yes or what whatsoever yeah so so as my recommendation is always to have someone from that is you know uh from the same location as the ql with you that helps usually to um be aware about the rules and also when there's kind of you know you want to invite them to dinner or you want to invite them to breakfast you know for for you know in association with your working meeting um these people will be aware about you know whether there are any caps in terms of how much mm. the dinner may cost or things like this so that's really important uh, to have in mind um okay so what but now <clears throat> let's get back to the mindset so when you you said that, that the statistician should be you know standing up and and be open and and really you know um shouldn't be shy and and you know as statistician should be just discussing so what what else would you recommend so what is the the way you should prepare to meet a ql and and what what do you usually want to get out of it i mean it's probably different from meeting to meeting but so what is the aim of the meetings and where so what, what can you recommend then? so um if you think about it you know um interacting with the european leader is quite complex because they have so many different roles yeah on one hand they are a customer on another hand they are an advisor and then there may be also an author and, and so on and so on so so um First, having the kind of um, complexity in mind is really, really important because it helps you to, um, to, to, to be aware about all the different interests here. Um, from a mindset uh, point of view, I think it's first and foremost, it's being open and being trustworthy. Yeah. So because... Um, sets a foundation of a good relationship here. And if you're not seen as trustworthy, well, you can directly stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is probably applying to all other interactions, not only with key opinions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's pro no, probably no, very, very general. But, but you know, these, um, these relationships are very, very sensitive. Yeah. You can't kind of if you, if you mess up the relationship with a uh, with a client or with a CRO, well, you need to find a new one. <laughs> but uh, it's much more difficult with these kind of key opinion leaders. You know, <laughs> there's just one president for the world organization that for your disease that you you can work with. Yeah, so so. Um, um, It's really, really sensitive. Uh, so that's why, you know, being trustworthy is really, really important. Um, it's very easy to make um, commitments. And I always recommend to be very cautious with that. Because if you give a commitment, then 
Um, are you really kind of authorized to do that? And um, can you really hold to this commitment? Can you follow up on this? And so there I'm always very, very cautious with that. Of course, you need to make commitments, yeah? But um, rather than, well, we will do this as a company, say, I will follow up on it, yeah, and report back to you. So, so then, then you have given the commitment to follow up, but not the commitment that the company will actually do something. Um, mm -hmm. And um, that's, you know, usually all, already enough. Um, then in terms of uh, working with them, um, it can be quite frightening. You know, when I first um, uh, met with these kind of people where you think, wow, these are world-class experts, you know, they, they regularly speak on large conferences and, and large audiences. Um, they determine the, the, the treatment guideline for, for continents and influence kind of how patients are treated around the world. Um, Thinking about this can be quite frightening, and um, sometimes also they they can be quite charismatic, uh, and that can also mm. be uh, yeah kind of frightening. But um, I always re recommend that think about your strengths. Think about you know they are also just people. They need to eat. They need to sleep. <laughs> And um, that you can actually help them with, with your expertise as a statistician. And having that in mind helps to, to overcome this, this fear um, and to be able to not, you know, freeze in front of these world-class experts when, when you actually meet them. Mm. Yeah, I think, I mean, maybe maybe at this, um, at this stage we can just also, oh, I would like to mention, I think it's, it's basically... Um, But you, you said that these are just humans. I mean, obviously, so um, you know, sometimes you might struggle with the opinion, but at least it's uh, it is uh, it's. But but in in general, I mean, we as statisticians, we are experts in specific areas. As a you know, in the data crunching people, you know, it's always kind of seen of a, as this, something special something different people you know usually you talk to people that are not as knowledgeable in, in the area that as you are and that's basically you know that's how you how you work and how you walk through your working life or even outside working life and um meeting key opinion leaders or meeting other colleagues or meeting i think just you know Don't even though we put this really into a one episode of meeting key opinion leaders because it's a big topic. I mean, these are not you know aliens. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the key opinion leaders are just humans, and and still, I mean, no no one, no statistician should be afraid of key opinion leaders, or nobody should be afraid of key opinion leaders, except maybe as as you mentioned before, the <laughs> they might be. Yeah, yeah, but but otherwise, it's really it's just. Um, We just want to emphasize that, you know, the sens uh, sensitivity of the topic working with the QL. And therefore, um, we really will, you know, are, are 
moving or going through these points in in such a detail but but actually it's a meeting like every every other meeting that you should prepare you should be coming in you have an aim i mean we talked about it in previous episodes you should be you know get into the meeting you know what you want to get out of it you need to let's say get the study designed you need to you know get the interpretation of the results you may have questions that you would like to ask and so on so there are there are aims for meetings so you go in introduce yourself and don't be afraid i mean you're a statistician you're an expert and he's a medic and he's an expert so yeah two experts work together so what's the what's the but actually it's a sensible effort. yeah two experts working so, together yes i think that's a, that's a very very good mindset to to go into this and the um lots of our you know colleagues as statisticians um maybe much more introvert than these you know people that you know may go into these areas that maybe much mm. more extrovert. Uh, and of course, you know, as an introvert, you might not feel comfy completely comfortable with that. Um, but I really urge you to train these kind of things and uh, to get out your comfort zone and get into this. And that will, it helps over time. You know, it's just, you know, by doing it over and over and over and over again, um, you realize that uh, you get more and more used to it and it becomes more and more normal. Um, and so I really encourage people to embrace, the, uh, embrace these situations and um, go into mm. it. Yeah. And What I sometimes see at uh, events is that um, people don't embrace the situation, but then kind of just hang around with their colleagues. You know, uh, so so imagine there's um, you know you you have an advisory board and see all the. Uh, Farmer people are there first, you know, say they arrived early to set up the room to check whether, you know, everything's working from a logistic perspective. And then the first um, uh, advisors arrive. What do you do? My advice is act as a host. Yeah. You as a company are organizing this event. So, The guests are coming and you're the host. What do you do at home? You know, if, if you have a if you have a dinner party and the guests are arriving, you don't, you know, stay in the kitchen with your wife. You you go to the door, you greet them, you know, you ask whether they had a safe travel and then these kind of things, you know, and you interact yeah, with them. Offer them a drink. But still and what and you, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, offer a drink and, and things like this, yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> despite these kind of usual things that we would do at home for a dinner party, you don't see it. Yeah. So, so very because people stay within their comfort zone and talk to their colleagues that they see every day, rather than, you know, uh, talk to this maybe strangers that they have never mm -hmm. met before. Yeah. Um, what actually can help there is that you prepare a little bit more for these kind of meetings. So um, that you prepare about, okay, check the profiles of these people, you know, okay, how do they look like? So, they have, so you can connect a name with, with a face. Um, 
what where are they coming from, what's their expertise, you know, was there a recent big publication that they had, um, so that you have know who you talk to. Uh, you can, you know, uh, know their names, you know, uh, you know, whether they had a long distance flight or, or things like this. And you have some kind of material that you can talk about, you know, uh, just on a, on a, you know, yeah, chat kind of, uh, area. Yeah. So, so to have these kind of more light interactions in, in the beginning that, that you want to have. Um, of course, you know, be aware about cultural differences. Mm. Yeah. So, so how people greet each other, um, that might be very, very different. Um, and, and then, you know, just don't forget what your mother told you about being polite. <laughs> it's sometimes that easy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, don't frown at them, smile at them, you know, give a handshake if it's culturally appropriate. It, it, introduce yourself that they know you. Introduce yeah. yourself, yeah. And, and you know, say that you are the responsible statistician, what you're doing, you know. Um, and that will spark conversation, yeah. And But really embrace it. Go into it, even if you're a little bit afraid about it, yeah. This is where growth happens in these kind of discomfort zones. Um, and you can, you know... Um, decrease this kind of anxiety uh, if you do it over and over again and if you know um, if you prepare for these kind of things yeah i think i we meant or you mentioned the word preparation quite often now i think this is really one of the key points uh, you know sometimes you go into a meeting because you didn't have time to prepare and then you know just and you get out of it that's fine but meeting such people i mean they will understand right away and they will not accept usually if you come in unprepared and you ask them questions where they should you know where where they expect you to know it or where they expect to have the, the background yeah. so it is it is a waste of their time that's what they usually see um i mean Im important people they are busy schedule and they come into a meeting explaining a statistician stupid questions uh, about you know um, things that they should have they should know. So preparation is one of the really key um, words or key um, things to do when you get into such a meeting. No, fully agree. Yeah, yeah. fully fully agree. Um, and actually, there's some. Um usually some nice tools within the different companies to do that. So um, some company have some kind of, you know, cheat sheets before such events that you can go through where, you know, um, see CRM data from all the different customers are displayed. So, so CRM, customer relationship management. So, um, Lots of companies have these tools where they, you know, capture all the different interactions with their, with their customers. You know, like, you know, most of the companies nowadays have, mm. you know. Um, and so there's also, um, say you can find, you know, things about, okay, has this person previously you know, talked about this uh, study uh, already. Um, who has he met? Uh, who already does he know from the company? You know, what's the um, 
local uh, contact for that person. Yeah. So so there's uh, lots of information about the relationship with the key opinion leader already in there um, that you can look into and and um, prepare for uh, your interactions. So. Um, and in terms of interactions, I think, you know, most of these key opinion leaders are very, very passionate about their topics. Yeah. So um, it's uh, especially in these kind of, let's say, breaks, you know, coffee breaks between um, within the meeting. Um, it's good to, you know, talk with, with them about these uh, things. They love to talk about it, you know. Yeah, um, there's sometimes really uh, dedicated their life to to the topic, and that's what you feel when you when you talk to them. Yeah, no, it's yeah, and and then and they can give you much more kind of um, a feel for what are the problems of the everyday patient. Yeah, so so what do they face in, in terms of obstacles in in treating these patients, um, and that can both help you with your job. But I think it also helps you to get a better connection of why we are running these kind of studies and why we are developing the treatments. So um, I always find these kind of interactions very, very um, powerful, mm. very, very encouraging. Um, so, and as a statistician, you have the ability to also ask lots of, you know, medical questions that maybe, you know, your medical colleagues <laughs> are afraid of asking. Yeah. Um, and um, that's, that's another kind of uh, a good thing. One other point. If you're successful in managing these relationships, that will be seen also by others. And that is also will help you with your career overall. Mm. So um, I've heard kind of remarks about the decisions that, uh, you know, where more senior leaders within a company have seen, oh, he's good with customers. Yeah, He has this ability to interact in a meaningful way and, and provide value to customers. And that's a scene. And that is something that is very, very important within pharma companies. So it's something uh, that you can build as a skill set and that's an asset for your uh, for your career. Mm. No, I agree. I mean, just, just as an example, I mean, if you, for example, have been named by one of the key opinion leaders, you know, as a successful collaboration that you worked, he or she worked together with you as a statistician, and this is being sent in an email to, you know, within the company. I mean, this is just pure gold um, for your career. Yeah. So, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, that's, you know... Um, why it's useful to invest time into this and really trying to get into these kind of things. Yeah. So if you work at a company where it's difficult to get into these uh, interactions, yeah, talk to your medical colleagues, whether, you know, at least you can, you know, sit on a side table to, to get into this first. Yeah. And then, you know, um, or maybe we can, you know, help with a prep, 
presentation, you know, do a presentation together with your uh, medical colleague about the data. Yeah, so so that he takes uh, speaks maybe about the introduction. You talk about the methodology uh, and you know some some key results. Uh, and see, then he kind of closes up on the interpretation, the outlook, and things like this, and framing it. And that way, you know, you can get be helpful, provide value, and get into these kind of uh, things. I think the key is you need to show your values that you bring to the table. Mm. Yeah, I think I've seen l very often people request to be in there and then with an argument because it's helpful for me you know the organizer of the advisory board doesn't care whether it's helpful for you he cares whether it's helpful for him and see the, the advisors so it doesn't make sense to speak about the value for you you need to speak about what value you can offer so because only those people get invited to these kind of things that contribute to it mm -hmm. that, adding you know, value to it yeah. add value to it and of course for for adding value you actually need to speak up yeah, yeah. so and you need to prepare <laughs> you need to prepare <laughs> yeah but but you know uh if you go to these meetings and you, then you don't speak up then you don't contribute then you don't add value maybe that's the last meeting you were invited to mm -hmm. yeah so, but this is, you know, like for, for advisory boards, there's very, very often higher boundaries to get into this because it's, uh, you know, sometimes requires additional um, travel and training and additional costs and maybe the room is not big enough or whatsoever, yeah? So it's not like this usual company meeting where people maybe don't care whether there's five additional attendees, yeah? Mm. But, but but for these kind of meetings, the, the hurdle might be much bigger. And, you know, it might be that, you know, if the organizer of that meeting picks you, you need to say no to another one. Yep. Yeah, because there's just limited space. So really help to get understanding of the values that you bring. And I hope, you know, what we talked about already helps you to get some of these kind of value points, you know, so that you can bring the methodological ex experience. You can bring complementary knowledge. You have maybe already experience with working with these European leaders. You have shown how you can, you know, um, bring value to them. Yeah, and you know um, the company data for other studies or related studies, previous studies and so on. So there's a lot of, there is a lot of expertise you can bring in and add value to it. Yeah. yeah. And you can help, you know, the presenting uh, physicians if they get challenged on specific points, you know, uh, what does that methodologically actually mean? The, you know, the imputation method that you used, you know, or the analytical method that you used, you know, another company used something different. Uh, why did you use this approach? Yeah. And, and, uh, these kind of challenges are often difficult to explain for physicians. And if you are there as a, a methodologically trained person, you can help with these. Mm. And I think this is really, really important. Another point is, um, you hear firsthand what people think about your data, external people think about your data. And that is very, very useful 
you know, like with all the information, if you only hear it through someone else, there's already a filter on it. There's already a, you know, interpretation on it. And you can, and you hear much more different kind of things. Uh, so you, you hear, you see when, you know, people don't get it in the way you have prepared the data. So you maybe need to think about, okay, we need to visualize the data differently or better. Um, and so I really, in, I always enjoy these kind of interactions because I learn so much about um, my data. All right. I think we're running out of time. Um, it was a good yeah. closing sentence. If Maybe there. just 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 one kind of special thing at the end, and then we cl can close. I know this is a pretty long episode, but <laughs> it's a it's a pretty important uh, uh, topic. Um, um, one last special note on on the medical conferences. Um, as these uh, conferences are, you know, all the different companies you know, want to meet with these kind of key opinion leaders, they are usually quite busy because maybe they also, you know, have a couple of presentations, they chair sessions and maybe have other kind of duties as, as being, you know, working in these uh, medical associations. So it's very important to proactively organize the, uh, these meetings. Sometimes, you know, you can, you know, catch someone after his presentation for, you know, short five-minute uh, uh, discussion. Uh, but if you want to have a more kind of in-depth uh, discussions at these uh, medical conferences, it's good to um, organize these and maybe have, you know, special rooms where you can meet with them. Um, it's good to engage with your medical and marketing colleagues that regularly go to these conferences. Um, and you can join them to meet, meet customers. So, you know, ask the people from the different affiliate organizations, maybe, you know, they, they may meet their customers for breakfast or, or for dinner anyway. Um, and you can join them and, uh, therefore have, you know, at these kind of, uh, occasions have interactions with uh, opinion leaders and, and, you know, build your, uh, relationships there. Uh, sometimes there's also a central look, you know, person that coordinates all the different requests, uh, because especially in very big companies, there might be, you know, different groups within the company that all want to speak with the same opinion leader, uh, for kind of different reasons and to coordinate that. Sometimes it makes sense that there's just one person that uh, mm. is the central person for that. Um, another thing for conferences, um, at most of the medical conferences that I know, there's also um, exhibition area um, attached to the medical conference uh, where the different companies have their booths. And that's also a great place to meet people because people will just uh, come by and and uh, but isn't this my, my usually quite busy place with you know everyone yeah it's it's it, but but it depends so, so usually these kind of booths have um different parts they have a more kind of a commercial part and a more medical part and usually they are somehow a little bit separated and 
one part is sometimes a little bit more busy than the other. And of course, you know, there are certain periods of time where kind of everybody gets out of the session into the exhibition hall and then it's completely crowded. Um, but there's, you know, also, you know, within the sessions, when the sessions are run, it's maybe more quiet and still some people uh, are coming around. There's, of course, certain additional rules for these booths that you need to be aware about. Um, but, um, yeah, another good place to meet. Yeah. Yeah, we had we should make a make a episode about uh, preparing for conferences of every time. Uh, how, yeah. how to get the best out of conferences. <laughs> I mean, I think this is. I mean, just because you touch the the area now, it's it's been, you know, there are a lot of things that people sometimes, or even me, I realize afterwards what I missed after con, you know, after attending conference. Yeah, yeah, that's a good topic. So, um, by the way, if you. Um, Want to learn more about all these kind of different things? You can register at our um, homepage, theeffectivestatistician.com. Uh, no slashes, just all one word. And um, then you'll never miss an episode. And in the future, we are also thinking about, you know, um, uh, preparing some additional materials there. So just stay, stu stay tuned. Uh, leave your email address there. And uh, then you will know when you get the most out of our podcast. Website. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening. Okay. Thanks a lot. It was great uh, talking to you again, Benjamin. Bye. Bye, Alex. So this episode was a lot about influence. And if you want to further build these kind of influencing skills, Register your interest on the leadership program at theeffectivestatistician.com slash course. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks for listening. And as always, please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. But really the most important thing is if you want to and learn about better influencing skills, then go to the course homepage and register your interest there.